Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That was a little bit of Lissy. When I'm alone, we'll go back to that a little later on, but I want to bring on my first guest. Standing by to join me is Professor Stephen Davis. Uh, Professor Davis is from the Earth System Science Program here, and he's here to share details about the UC Irvine-led science team and how to eat our way out of the climate crisis. So let me fill you in a little before I bring Professor on. Uh, There was just a press release announced, and it's a really fascinating initiative going on. If you visit my show blog, by the way, you can read more about Professor Davis and this initiative. So the show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. So agriculture is one of the hardest human activities to decarbonize. People must eat, but the land use practices associated with growing crops account for roughly a quarter of global greenhouse gas emissions. Researchers right here at UC Irvine and other institutions are evaluating a new solution to this problem, one that eliminates farms altogether. Standing by to join me is Professor Stephen Davis to talk more about it. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. I got this press release, and I thought, this is really interesting, and it really caught my eye how to eat our way out of a climate crisis. Could you elaborate? Yeah, I'm not sure about that headline. <laughs> I didn't come up with that. But, you did you know, the idea, the idea of, uh, of the paper is really um, a big one, and it is that we depend as a species on agriculture for most of our calories, and agriculture takes up a lot of land and a lot of resources besides emitting a lot of greenhouse gases. Uh, so if we were able to break that link and decouple our food production from the land itself, uh, we might be able to reduce our impact on the environment and save a lot of resources. It's really interesting. I also posted how there's a potential for wide-scale synthetic production of dietary fats through chemical and biological processes. So this means that there'll be less need for actual farms because this will be produced synthetically? That's right. You know, this means that foods can be produced in factories. Okay. Um, And I think, you know, the key here is to to understand that there's a a lot of difference to try to synthesize something in a factory like an apple versus a compound like an oil or a fat that we would eat and that often would end up, you know, frying food in or putting into processed foods Um, where they're not really that uh, differentiated in our current market. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think people would mind that necessarily. Well, maybe also the production outside of the farm, maybe it would create fats that are more healthy. It's possible. I think the the health um, aspect of this is really not one that we've emphasized because the goal of the process is to produce something that's more or less molecularly identical to the the fats that are being produced by agriculture. So just as healthy or unhealthy as Mm -hmm. the fats we eat now. Okay. How did you get involved in this initiative? You know, it was something that I uh, was introduced to via a colleague um, who works at Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which if for your listeners that don't know, this is an arm of Bill Gates's empire where oh. he funds innovative startup ideas. And okay. uh, he has, among many other things, funded a company called Saber that's trying to produce these fats. 
Um, so I was chatting with that uh, group and was very interested to learn that this was even possible. I hadn't realized it. Um, and we had the idea to look at what the potential might be in terms of reduced environmental impacts if, if we scaled this kind of process up. I thought that was really interesting because, as I was uh, sharing on my show blog uh, with the press release, food without the farm could avoid enormous quantities of climate warming emissions. I thought that yeah, was, that's right. Yeah, so that's amazing. I think it's maybe less commonly known that uh, around a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions that humans produce mm -hmm. comes from agriculture, not the burning of fossil fuels. So, you know, three quarters of the problem is energy related, it's fossil fuels, but these are also a huge source. And if we're successful in decarbonizing our energy system, the agricultural emissions are going to be uh, more and more important uh, to rein in and help you know, stop the climate change that we're experiencing. Well, it's really um, interesting because also, you know, when you think about, I guess there'll be less use of water and less pollution and you don't have to deal with all the weather issues with growing things. That's right. I mean, we, we use a majority of our fresh water and a majority of habitable land for agriculture. Um, and so liberating ourselves from even a, a share of that um, could be great for nature, and it would make us more resilient if we didn't need to worry about droughts or uh, you know other heat wave events and things that damage crops and can cause famine. By the way, how long have you been at UCI? I've been here about uh, 10 years now, a little more. Okay. Um, so it started in 2012. And has this always been an interest of yours, earth science? Yeah, I'm a pretty eclectic researcher. I've, I've worked on lots of aspects of the climate problem and, and solutions to it. I'm focusing a lot on energy. Um, but increasingly in recent years, I've been looking at these agricultural emissions and, and deforestation-related emissions and wanting to explore different options that we might have to reduce those. I thought it was interesting. I, I do research on Gen Z specifically and mental health. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I do this for all people, but specifically... So Gen Z, as you probably know, they're very passionate about climate change because this is their future, whatever's sure. going on now. And so I, that's why this also grabbed me because it's, it's such an important topic that we must address. Well, thanks for saying that. I, I see that in my classes with undergraduates here at UCI. They're, no matter what their major is, they all seem very concerned about this problem and what we can do, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I really, uh, you know, have shifted my research to focus more and more on the solutions to the problem. Um, we really need to kind of move away from just identifying all the things that we're doing that are bad and get on with figuring out what to do about them. Are there ways that uh, the undergrads here can get involved in your initiatives or learn more about it? You know, I sometimes work with undergraduate researchers in my group. I can only take on so many, of course. Sure. But there's also lots of great activities through my Department of Earth System Science uh, for people who are passionate about climate change and want to get involved in solving the problems. I, I believe very strongly in purpose-driven initiatives, especially for mental health and getting students connected to things that are meaningful, because it's been really hard, that's an understatement, uh, living mm -hmm. in a pandemic and then coming back to school and a lot of students uh, feel they, they haven't made uh, connections and friendships. So I'll, I'll say to them, try to get involved in something that's very purpose-driven, you know, something that could impact your future, the future of others. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we we know something about how rewarding it can be to work for a greater purpose uh, beyond just your own self advancement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree completely that that's something that I think students could benefit from, and that there are there's an Earth System Science Club, for example, that has. Uh, events and speakers that come to visit the campus, and that's a, a possible option there. Yeah, that's great. Could you talk about any other aspect of this initiative, any other details with listeners? You know, I think it's really the paper that we published is is a first step to just introduce this idea to people that, that it's even possible, as I said, to make some food types without agricultural inputs. Mm-hmm. You know, we're essentially doing what a plant does, taking water and air and combining those to make the compounds that we eat. So I think the point there is that there's a lot of further research that needs to happen to understand what are the implications of that, what are the barriers in terms of consumer demand, for example, or what happens to the many people around the world who work in agriculture. Yes. Um, and so there, there are lots of uh, implications to chase down and follow up on this initial uh, work. And I do think, and I, I did mention this briefly, but I think when I asked the question about is it, health, is it healthier, because when I have read stories about organic versus non-organic and the pesticides that are sprayed on crops, there might be an opportunity to create things in the lab or just off a farm that, are, that don't have those pesticides, of course. Yeah, you're exactly right there. In in many cases, the fats that are synthesized in this way will be purer than something from agriculture. That can be good, you know, in terms of not having things like pesticides that you mentioned. Yeah, It could be bad as well, though, where there are complex flavor molecules in some of our foods that bring us, you know, the flavors that we know and love. Yes. Um, this this process is not going to recreate those more complex flavors, so it'll be better for neutral cooking oils or things like palm oil, which are already stripped of flavor in their processing, and so they aren't intended to be flavorful. Sure. Well, I guess I would love to see less cases of cancer in our in our yeah. world, and, and that also was interesting to me, thinking that if we could take it off of a farm and not make it so riddled with pesticides, perhaps we could, you know, reduce the number of cases of cancer. I mean, that's a great example of the kind of follow-up work I was mentioning is to identify where these opportunities lie and where the the barriers are the lowest and Mm -hmm. start doing this in a way that frees land for nature. Yes, absolutely. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? I have a a reasonably good group website here at uh, UCI. It's S-U-S-T-S-Y-S. Dot ess.uci.edu. That's for sustainable systems is the shorthand. Okay. I also put a link to the study published, which was Nature Sustainability, mm-hmm. on the website and all of your information. I'm sure you'll have some students reaching out to you because this is just a wonderful initiative that you're doing. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. It was a fun chat, Jenny. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks again. You too. Have a great day. You bye. too. Bye-bye. That was a really interesting segment. If you missed any part of that conversation with Professor Stephen Davis, it will be on the show blog. But right now, uh, the press release and all the information about uh, his incredible work is on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. 
And uh, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. (laughs) 